Well, welcome to the Decarb Connect podcast. And this week I'm joined by Andrew Smith, who's partner of Greenbackers. Andrew, you and I are going to be talking about how to connect, you know, these seriously large amounts of interested capital that are looking for uh, the right, right places to deploy and the technologies that need to commercialize. But before we dig into that, do you want to just give us a bit of a sense of how, who, well, who you are, but also how you've arrived at this particular point of time in your career and, and with the business. So a bit of, bit of an kind of intro, if you like. Yes, sure, Alex. It's a, it's a pleasure to be to be talking to you again, and, and thanks for the opportunity. Um, I, I'd love to be sitting here telling you that I am where I am through some absolutely grand, meticulous plan, but um, mostly it, it's, it's, it's good fortune and the help of many others. Um, in a bit more detail, I, I was a lawyer for 35, going on 40 years. Um, I, I always ask people not to hold that against me, of course. And um, it, I guess the breakthrough for me came when I uh, really pursued a position as um, head of a fund for Scottish Investment Bank, which is the investment arm of Scottish Enterprise, one of the intervention agencies in Scotland. And I had a, a really talented team of, of eight uh, banking type people um, to, to, to help me. And, and we had £103 million to invest in uh, some really interesting areas, uh, renewables, wave and tidal energy. And that, that really excited me. I love the work. Um, and um, that led on to uh, working for a private sector developer for about 14 months. Uh, had projects in, in Australia and Canada and UK and Ireland, um, and then and then setting up on my own initially, um, and and really finding out if people would actually pay to talk to me as opposed to just talk to me, and so so that was an interesting interesting period. And about that time, I um, linked up again with a colleague, Robert Hawkin, who who had spent many years really assembling the clean tech audience since about 2010. Clean tech wasn't even a thing back then. And um, I, I had spoken at a couple of his events, as had my colleague John Steedman, who XBP Ventures. And we we kind of came together and 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 we over a number of months and and you know, a couple last couple of years, we we worked out what we really wanted to do together. And 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 last year brought in my colleague Mark Hannigan, who's who's based in Houston. Um, all of us. You know, Scottish Robert adopted Scottish. He's from Chicago, but he's he's been in UK for I don't know twenty years or more, and and Scotland for a good part of that. So um, we're here now, and um, we've arrived here through through a bit of luck, uh, a bit of accident, and a, a small bit of planning, and uh, really loving what we're doing. So, so Greenback is then. What's your remit? If, if I was in a in a lift with somebody really important who was willing to talk to me, I I, I would say we. We are at the junction of, of capital and, and new technology, and, and, and we're almost a translation service uh, in the sense of we try and make it easier for capital on the one hand and uh, clean tech ventures to, to talk to one another. Um, now, there's a few other people involved in that conversation and a few other people we, we drag into that conversation, and they include the, the operational uh, guys, the uh, people who, who you could describe as potential end users for the technology. And, and we try to bring them in as early as we can. And then of course there's there's NGOs, there's 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 governments, there's the people who, who are driving policy, um, particularly 
any policy that's associated with the the plan, the desire, dare I say, the, the driving need for us all to do what we can to reach net zero by, by 2050. Um, so so we, we bring all of that together and, and we help the ventures on the one hand to, to get better. They, the word I use a lot in the work I do is, is, is narrative. And, and we have to get the narrative of, of, of the tech company right we have to make it powerful we have to make it compelling um and we have to uh, chop it into into bits so that it fulfills its purpose you know the the first bit is, is designed to get you the meeting the second bit is is designed to, to to get the the potential investors into your data room and and the final bit is to is to get them across the line if you will and, and e each part of that has got to be as compelling as possible and and you know that's easier for some than it is for others. And and in the same way, we have to pull the investors closer to taking the sorts of risk that are represented uh, by by early new technology companies, because that's not that's not quite for everybody. So so that's that that would have been a long lift ride, I have to say. But it, it's it's kind of uh, it's kind of uh, the the short version. In terms of the the kind of stage of the uh, companies that you're dealing with, i.e. the stage of the, the tech companies, is there a kind of a sweet spot for you? What What's the preferred stage of development? I wouldn't say that there's a sweet spot in terms of, of the size of the business or, or the type of raise that they're going after, whether it be pre-seed, seed, you know, series A, B, C, or, or one, two, three, depending on, on what nomenclature you actually, you actually use. The sweet spot for us is a combination of, of clean tech has to be clean tech for us. Now that's a pretty broad church, um, and you know we can we can give some examples later on perhaps. Um, but so it has to be clean tech. But also the, the team has to be right. The, the the size of the market they're going after has to be right. You know there's no point in in our view in doing something because you can if it's really not going to move the dial. Um, and and if we get a company that that, that fits uh, those particular criteria then it's highly likely we'll take it on. The capital is there. There are people waiting to invest. What is it that is kind of preventing this kind of faster investment cycle and, and an easier ride in the, in the commercialization of key technologies that we need? Uh, yeah, well, I, I think you're absolutely right to, to, to describe the, the fact that in our view, and I, I think it's, it's widely accepted that there is enough cash out there and I think it's probably widely accepted that there are plenty of businesses looking for them. So, so what is the problem? So for us, uh, the problem sits around the issue of, of risk. Um, the, the, the types of businesses that are developing early stage technologies, new technologies are typically, not always, but typically small and new and the technologies are typically for a while unproven. And, 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 and the walls of capital out there back away typically from the risks that are associated with all of that. Um, so if we can find ways using uh, a, a number of mechanisms to, to help uh, that, that capital or even just elements of that capital to begin to accept those risks and if we can get the, the, the technologies uh, better 
at identifying risk and, and narrating risk and, and, and really establishing exactly what the risks are, then perhaps we can we can help bring you know the right money into the right businesses at the right time. I know from the industrials that we spend more of our time talking to, I suppose that the risks that often are articulated around early stage technologies are sometimes things that I think maybe the, the technology companies haven't always understood about either that how an industrial plant works, the kind of the year cycle of maintenance through to operation that maybe they haven't really grasped. Yes, it would be great to trial a new technology, but when are we going to install it? How do we know it's not going to affect our product? From an investor side, then it sounds it's more like it's the readiness of a team to scale, would you say? Yes. Yeah, that's that's a crucial issue. I mean, I mean, uh, uh, who, who, who the team is, um, what, what their skill set is, and where the where the gaps are is one of the things that, that that all investors will be will be concerned about for sure. And and you know displaying uh, self awareness as as a, as a group um, uh, about those gaps, about the skill sets you do have, and a willingness to accept um, additional help um, is, is always a smart thing to do for a, for a team. But you know. In terms of, 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 of the, the types of money that, that we can we can see being interesting, um, you know, some of the work I do is is, is quite informative. You know, I, I was part of a, a big group, about sixty five people, helping to advise the European Commission on the the way their new innovation fund, which is now up and running, was going to be going to be introduced and. Being involved in some of those discussions was interesting. That there were some big industries represented there: cement industry, chemicals industry, porcelain industry, and um, in some of those industries that, that use big industrial ovens, um, they, they were explaining that there was absolutely appetite inside their businesses to use much more eco-friendly ovens. You know, and, and that technology certainly exists. And you would think that they would just you know, adopt the ovens, put one in at the end of a line, have a go and see how it works. But they were explaining that their, their boards, which are responsible to their shareholders ultimately, uh, would want to see one of these ovens up and running and producing for 12 months, perhaps longer, to make sure the end product, the quality of that end product, which is what they live or die by, uh, was absolutely the same or better than they can get with conventional ovens. And, and that was the reason why these big, quite wealthy businesses were actually pushing for the innovation fund to give them grant money to, to run these, these new ovens for that period. They were saying, look, you might think that we should just write a check and build one, but it just doesn't work like that. And, and I, I think if you, if you extrapolate from that kind of understanding of, of businesses, down into the into the weeds of, of new technology in, in a range of circumstances, and and you're seeking to have that technology demonstrated and adopted, and somebody write you a check for it. You can begin to understand some of the barriers that you're going to have to cross to to, to make a make a success of it. You know, obviously, there's lots of experience in the Greenbackers team. You're used to working with all kinds of tech companies to commercialize, and one of the things you said you had the sense of was um, that it was often small shifts in behavior that were needed from 
everybody involved. So from the corporates, from the investors and from the tech disruptors themselves. So tell me a bit about what, what do you mean by that? What sorts of small shifts can have can have this big effect? Yeah, well, well, look, I, I often think that um, examples are, are kind of kind of good. And I, I actually came across one just this morning in, in one of the many Zoom calls we're all doing at the moment. I I, I had yet another one of those. And um, uh, I, I heard a story about some of the, the, the large uh, businesses in the energy sector um, making significant, but to them, small sums of money available to a group, I think I believe the group's in, in Holland, to invest in, in really early stage technology businesses. Now, you know, that sounds, you know, okay, really quite good. But for me, it, it's the lessons and conclusions you can draw from that. And, and first of all, for me, what it means is those big businesses who are, who are coming up with that budget uh, are recognizing that they are not the right people to engage in the early stage market. And I, I think that's that self-awareness is is really good. Um, so so that's lesson number one. Lesson number two would be for me to identify which budgets within those big businesses that money is coming from, uh, because you know typically that kind of money would come from R and D type budgets. And I I love to see that, but I would love it more if 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 that money came from investment type budgets. And and I think you know one of the small changes in behaviours could be from our governments, who could say we're going to treat investment in the same way as we do R and D when it's spent by a big company, so you can get tax write-offs for it. Now, I am not a corporate tax expert in any by any means, but my understanding is that R&D spending is certainly treated differently. Um, and I think if we're going to encourage um, a, the, the taking of more risk by big businesses, you know, that small change in, in, in the way that's treated may be very helpful. And then you know, when it comes to the ventures themselves, um, in terms of closing that gap, you know, they, they really need to plan their fundraise in the same way as they might plan, say, a complex operation at sea. If, if, if you're doing something at sea as, as an early technology company, you will plan that. You'll spend weeks planning it. You'll scenario plan it. You'll have what-if situations. You will have fallbacks, and, and it will all be recorded and written down. And yet, a huge number of ventures wake up and say, well, we better go out and raise some money. Uh, they have a chat with a, over a pot of coffee and off they go, raise, try and raise the money. Now, listen, I, I'm, I exaggerate, but not that much. Um, so, so I think if we, can, if we can make ventures understand that they've got to plan what they're doing and really focus on it, and if we can find ways of, of freeing up just small parts of very big budgets, we, we, we can, and all of that is doable. You know, we, we need to do the doable. There's no point in coming up with some utopian set of, of, of aims, um, which nobody can deliver on. Uh, you know, that's a waste of everybody's time. So I, I think we need to do the doable. And there's a couple of examples of changes in behavior that, that we, can, we can perhaps achieve. And, and just one other comment on that, which I think, again, might be helpful um, and, and completely without trying to 
about what we're doing. One of the things we discovered during the course of the, the last 12, 15 months was that investors have told us and fed back to us that they want to find easier ways of consuming um, you know, curated deal flow. They want to know that what they're looking at has a chance of being investable. Um, and they want to be able to look at it in, on their train journey whilst they're having a cup of coffee, you know, in between meetings. They want to be able to share it very quickly with colleagues. And they want to be able to contact the entrepreneurs very easily and, you know, and, and, and immediately and begin conversations if they're interested. And, and we've translated all that into, into our, our platform, our showcase platform. Now, there are plenty of other people who do what we do. Of course, we would say we do it better, but that's for others to judge. Um, but, but I think if, if people who do what we do can find ways of making sure that what we all provide is of a certain quality um, and, and making it easy to consume by investors, that helps a bit too. And, and you begin to close that, that gap to reduce that distance between the money on the one hand and the technologies on the other hand. I just wanted to pick up on that point you were making about R&D as a source of funding versus investment budgets as a source of funding. Why do you think that matters so much? I mean, obviously what you're saying is each needs to be incentivized in the same way, but, but why? Why does it matter where that money comes from? I think this is all about badging. You know, R&D money from our, uh, any government, quasi-government source uh, or from uh, an industrial is terrific for, for, for a, a venture. I'm absolutely not knocking it. it. It's great to have and it's great to see and it does absolutely help that business progress. Not least because typically um, pretty much always it's non-dilutive. So, so the, the, the owner of the venture does not have to give up any of his stake in the, in the, in the business in order to get it. It allows him to progress it allows him to, to demonstrate his technology and he's not having to give anything away. That's kind of like nirvana for your, for your um, entrepreneur. But um, if that is investment as opposed to R&D money, and, and, and you know, there's room for both, the, the message it sends, particularly if it comes from um, a potential end user to other investors, who are, who are not perhaps um, end users themselves, they perhaps just represent pure money. The, the message it sends is a very strong one. You are prepared to put your own money into this business as an investment. You know what, you know what the sector is about. That's a strong, strong badge for me. And, I, I, and, and therefore it would encourage other, other investors to, to come in to, to at least look very seriously at, um, at the business. You know, when I was fortunate enough to be running the fund for, for Scottish Investment Bank, um, what, we, what we did was filled a gap. It, it was a requirement that when we invested, there had to be a gap. So, so if the private sector was, was fully able to fund what we were looking at, we would step back. We, would, we wouldn't get involved. But typically what we did was, was invest. And when we invested, where there was a gap, you would then find others who would, would come along and they would take a piece. Um, so we were leveraging in other, other money. So the key difference is, is the, uh, the atmosphere, the impression, the narrative, to go back to that word, 
that it helps to create around the business as being an investable entity. So it sounds like, you know, the, the R&D fund is maybe a signal of scientific or other curiosity in a way, whereas the investment funding is the, there's a kind of a badge of backing to that that carries a different kind of weight. Yeah, listen, either I'm a good teacher or you're very insightful, and I'm, I'm sure it's the <laughs> latter because that's that's absolutely right. The podcast that we do is kind of interesting is it's probably the main way that I connect with new investors all the time. You know, that's that's the way they get in touch rather than through our events or reports or anything else like that. And we are often asked, you know, oh, if you come across a good deal, if you come across a good deal, let us know. So I'm pretty sure that even I could guess what should be curated into a good deal flow. What would you curate out of it? What are some of the red flags that would you would say, oh, this isn't going on our platform? Yeah, well, listen, that's, that's a really good question. So the, the, the typical failure points um, in terms of ventures are things like valuation. Uh, so, so if, if 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 somebody has has an idea that's just out of the lab, um, and they think uh, their company is therefore worth fifty million of any currency you care to mention, then that's not going to go anywhere fast. Uh, now, is it possible for something like that to actually be worth fifty million? Absolutely, it's possible. Um, and I'm not saying it's not. What I am saying is to get investment on that basis is very, very, very hard. And and uh, you. Know, wouldn't typically be something that we would we would look at. Then if you have a founder who is difficult, and believe me, they do exist, uh, a founder who, who, who will not um, accept um, advice, uh, a founder who, who is um, obsessed with their technology and, and not really with commercializing it, that's a bit of a red flag too. Um, and then there will be issues around the market that they're addressing. So is there a need in the market that they've identified for what they're actually selling? Do they understand that market? Have they identified a way of getting into that market? Is it realistic? Um, are the numbers that they have associated with their entry into that marketplace realistic on both sides of the equation? So the costs of getting in, in terms of cash, in terms of other resources, plus the time to generate income and then profit. Um, have, have, do they have an understanding of that? Do the numbers they put together reflect that? And do they reflect the risks? So are there switches in their model that say, okay, this is what we kind of expect, but if it's really good, if this changes, what happens? And if it's bad, if this changes, if we have a supply chain problem, for example, with a key piece of material, what happens to a business plan? So we will look at all of those things. Um, and it is only if and when we as a group are satisfied that, that all of those things are in the right place, that we would accept that business onto our, onto our platform. And you know, a couple of the, the issues that, that we have we have come up with is you know ventures sometimes find it quite tough to hear from us uh, because you know often we'll we'll say look you know this is not this is not ready and I haven't yet met a venture who hasn't thought they're ready for investment uh, they're all ready but but very few of them actually are um, and and uh, you know sometimes people come back you know two and three times. One of the successes on our on our website, and I'm, I'm going to name check them, but I think it's okay, is 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 uh, Lambda, and and Lambda are in the solar business, and and the first time they asked us for help, and they asked to pitch at one of our 
then events, um, we said no. But, but we, we never just say no. We always say, look, this is what we think. And we, and we, give, we give feedback. And hopefully, you know, when we're doing all that, it's all, it's all business-like. But um, they came back. And we are now on our third funding round with them. Uh, so they've done two successfully with us. And, 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 they're, and they're now fundraising again. And there's, and there's interest. So, um, you know, I, I, I think it all sounds like common sense. Um, but if the advice comes from people who are, you know, I, you know, among us, there's, there's 130, 140 years worth of business experience, which is what you're getting, um, then hopefully, hopefully you can rely on them. We were also, uh, as part of this kind of conversation about how do you match these pockets and buckets or whatever of interested capital with the right technologies, is, is actually to have a look at how, how do we even reverse engineer net zero? So what are the technologies and business models that are needed? Yeah, so it's interesting you use that word reverse um, in, in, in reverse engineering. You know, an awful lot of people, uh, many of us are talking about getting to 2050 and getting to net zero. And, and what we have begun to do is say, forget about all of that. Let's start at 2050 and work backwards. And if you, if you start doing that, and, and again, just this morning, I heard uh, somebody in a in a business meeting on on the dreaded Zoom talking about a, a billion seconds, and this is not my concept. What is a billion seconds? Now, somebody says, "What's a billion seconds?" I would be saying, "Well, that's must say something next week, isn't it?" It's actually the number of seconds until 2050. And if if you if you begin to think of it like that, it starts to get very very frightening, very very pressing, and you've got International Energy Agency, two or three weeks ago, launching their, their roadmap, a, a long document. But within that document, they were saying, you know, there's, there's technologies around right now that are going to be needed to help us get to 2050, and they're in their nascent stages, and we need to get them funded. Now, that's important, but it's just as important as the source of that comment, the IEA. Um, you know, the fact it's coming from them adds, adds weight to it. So I think, I think it really is about identifying those areas where change is, change is needed. So do we all need to use less energy? Yes, of course we do. Uh, do, do, we, do we need to uh, switch to electric vehicles? Yes, of course we do. Do we need to replace gas, North Sea gas? Yes, of course we do. Um, do we need to reduce the uh, carbon footprint of shipping? Yes, we do. You think of uh, shipping as a country, and it turns out to be the sixth most polluting country in the world. And, and shipping is doing all it can to help that. But that's a tough industry to change. Um, and, and then you've got things like hydrogen, uh, blue hydrogen, green hydrogen, huge plans for that to, to help. Uh, help us reach net zero. And just a couple of days ago, we had a, a Scottish business with whom we'd done some work called ILI, who, who just got consented a 450 megawatt pump storage hydro project in Scotland. Now, I can tell you that I've had conversations during the course of the last year with people uh, in government and quasi-government saying to me, well, pump hydro, all the good sites are gone. Now, that's just nonsense. There are, there are a number of, of, of great sites. And of course, 
you know, public storage hydro is there's no technology risk. It lasts for 70 plus years. It can use power that currently people are being paid not to generate onto the grid to pump the water back up the hill again. Um, and, and it can be used to, to balance that grid perfectly. So, you know, there's just a few areas where where big change is needed. Of course, I've not mentioned offshore wind and offshore floating wind, which are going to contribute massively to, to help us reduce uh, the, the world's carbon, carbon output. But listen, there's many, many areas. And if you think about each one of those areas has enabling technologies that, that can help make bits of it happen, you know, the, the, the area that we're, that we're playing in is, is vast. And, and then, so then let's kind of look at them within, again, within this kind of reverse engineering scenario, what, where, where do we need CVCs, VCs and private equity? What, what do they do best? Yeah, so, so you, you've mentioned kind of three different types of money there, and, then, and there are many more different types of money. You know, there, there, are, there are impact investors, and there are, there are family offices, and there, are, you know, and there are specialist funds. And you know, what, I, what, I would, what I would say to them all is, is, first of all, first of all, I'd say you're doing a fantastic job. You know, they're there, they've got money, They've got a, a remit to to invest. They've got a remit to do things, um, and and that is that is terrific. So they're in play. That's the first thing, and we need them to be in play. The second thing I I, I would I would ask is is have a real hard look at your risk appetite. Have a real hard look at what you can do within your scope. Have a look at your scope, and and if you if you feel a bit restricted. Um, have an argument, have a discussion internally with those who provide your budgets. You know, point to Bernard Looney, uh, who's running BP, and all of his statements about, we, you know, we've got, we've got to change. We've got to change. And, and try and be as aggressive as you can be in terms of, in terms of taking risk. Um, and, and, you know, think about things uh, that, that you've looked at 10 years ago, which, which maybe you rejected. And don't just have them on some blacklist somewhere that says, no, we don't do that. Open your minds a bit and be willing to look at them again because things move on and they move on very quickly and they are moving on very quickly in, in this world. So, you know, far be it from me to, to, to be, be, be wagging a finger or, or, or lecturing. And this is much more of a plea than, than any of that, hopefully. And hopefully it will come across that way. Um, you know, you're doing a great job, but please try and do more and try and do try and do as, as much as you possibly can. And and those with 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 specific remits, those who are looking specifically at things like how can we make deep ocean aquaculture work? How can we make it economic? How can we do it using renewable energies to generate power, using using sympathetic and empathetic anchoring solutions to, to hold everything in place? What species can we put in there? How can we generate feed? For the species that we host in, 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 in deep ocean aquaculture installations that, that, that is that is made sustainably. And and you know, on that last point, that there's there's companies right now, innovative companies with solar impulse foundation badges attached to them that are uh, looking at making high quality, high grade seafoods out of captured carbon. It's amazing what's out there. Um, so, so, so those of you who, who who do have specialist mandates, again, please 
have your minds open and, 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 and be flexible and take a look at stuff. Okay, then, and then what's the, what's the prod to the kind of corporates or the industrial side? So we've talked about, you know, from the venture groups themselves, you know, all these, these points about the kind of leadership, the willingness to accept advice, whatever else, the, the kind of push to be, perhaps take a little more risk than you might otherwise from those finance groups. So for what, what's the poke for industrials? What, what do they need to do? Well, look, for, for me, all these things are easy to say. You know, if I had somebody else's money to invest, maybe I would be able to say them, and I acknowledge that. Um, but, but the poke in the pod for me is, look, uh, your, your competitors, if you will, those others with money, are gradually coming down the food chain. We know, we see it. Um, the way deals are emerging um, is changing. Um, there are there are others. There are there are very good uh, crowdfunding platforms now. There are some poor crowdfunding platforms, but some that are very good. A lot of them are are, are, are really strong, um, and 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 deals are getting done, and and deals will pass you by, if you don't come and play a little bit out of your comfort zone. Think about the the typical models that you have. Uh, 10-year life of a fund, typically five years to invest and five years to divest. Is that a fit anymore? Does it fit this space? Now, it may well fit in the spaces you want to play, in which case, good luck to you, crack on, no problem with that. There's, there's a need for investment in lots of areas. So, you know, again, not, not trying to lecture. But if you do want to play in this space, is that model workable? Are you going to be able to deliver for your LPs the kind of returns that, that they are looking for? And if you're an impact investor, um, then, then, then be open-minded as to what the real impacts of what you're actually doing uh, might be and, and are capable of being. Uh, so I, I, think it's, I think it's about you know, opening one's mind, but understanding that the world is, is changing a little bit, and unless you change with it, there's a risk you'll get left behind. What would you like to see or what do you expect to see maybe um, from policy, not just in the UK, but elsewhere that could help drive this, this kind of cycle of innovation to scale? Listen, great question. And, and I think anybody in my situation would use a single word when it comes to, to policy, which is consistency. Uh, you know, those who are trying to do stuff, be they ventures or be they investors, can cope with policy where it's consistent. Where there are sudden swings, sudden changes, uh, which are pretty much always unpredictable and pretty much always unpredicted, um, that's what causes chaos. Now, it causes chaos at the time, but it also reduces confidence. Um, you know, we've just gone through a, a hugely tricky period for the UK for lots and lots of reasons, and one of those is, is Brexit, and I make no political comment about that here, but, but you can absolutely be sure that that, uh, at the very least, very significantly delayed a number of deals um, over a long period. And, and the question that you've got to ask, and, and there'll be people who can produce numbers and figures on this now and, and will do so in the future, I, I would ask whether uh, that money that was perhaps lined up to do a deal has now gone elsewhere, 
and 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 whether there's going to be a, a long-term hangover over the UK because of that. Now, I would say there won't be a long-term hangover. Why? Well, because we've got such great businesses here in the UK, great markets, very entrepreneurial, and I think money will always be interested in what we're doing over here. But certainly for a while, perhaps still, UK had political risk attached to it as a place to invest. Now, you know, if you think about that for a while, that's that's kind of a bit alarming. You know, you, you think of other countries having political risk attached to them, but but typically we wouldn't have expected that from the UK. So so I think consistency is is really really important. And of course, you know, you look at what happened in America, and again, I I, I hold I make no political point here, but the the fact that America was withdrawn from the Paris Agreement and now is back in, you know, the fact it's back in, in my view personally, is a is, is a fantastic thing. But the fact it was withdrawn, you know, that that creates a problem. Now, fortunately, it's back in, and President Biden's administration is making a lot of good noises and has taken some hard actions in terms of funding that's that's available uh, for for a, a green recovery. That, that really inject uh, some momentum into the sector. So, you know, I, I, I think, you know, broadly speaking, consistency is is the key for policy. Okay, and I know I know you are part of this uh, financing net zero group. What is that? Who who who's involved? How does it play into this? So that's a, a pro bono group, um, and you can find it on LinkedIn. Find it financing net zero. Um, it, it emerged out of a a, a workshop last year. It's a group uh, including some big industrials like wood and Siemens um, and, and some small businesses such as our own green backers and others um, who are all on a pro bono basis meeting to, to gather data, first of all. There is a, there's a survey available on the, on the website, uh, so, uh, on the LinkedIn site, I should say, sorry, um, I, I, and you can complete that. And that's to gather data, hard data, really to cover all the issues you and I have been discussing today um, with a view to uh, preparing and then releasing a white paper that, that draws together some of these um, themes and, and begins to suggest some of these answers and really puts them out there. And, and our thinking is the fact it's a, a very diverse group, so OGTC are involved in it and have been, been hugely helpful. And we've all been able to bring investor connections um, into our tent um, and, and on a Chatham House rules basis have been able to find out what they really think uh, about what's going on. And, and we have their permission on a non-attributed basis to um, uh, a, a capture all of that and, 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 to, and to stitch it into our, our white paper. So we're hoping it will not be regarded as yet another piece of work on, on, this, on this issue, but, but we'll have a high degree of Credibility, and and we'll be releasing that 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 um, at various events um, as they emerge, either online or or later on, hopefully this year or next um, in in person. Okay. Well, is it if you like, you can email me that, Andrew, and I'll include it in the show notes so that people relevant to that conversation can find it easily and contribute. Certainly, I'll do that. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, look. Thank you. Thank you. Really, really good to talk to you from my perspective. 
it's those that that idea of small shifts in behavior really rings true partly because i just think actually as human beings once something feels like too many big strides it's too easy to push off whereas everyone can adapt a little can't they yeah well listen thanks very much it's been my pleasure and and, and the, the, the one the one thing i would love to do to the audience and will do is, is just say look uh, we are in a climate crisis right now and what are you going to do about it thank you lovely to talk to you and uh, thanks again andrew thanks very much